Our text this morning is verse 12 of Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We're told that the author of this psalm is Moses. And that in itself really places it as one of the oldest psalms in the entire of the book and also among the oldest portions of Scripture. And uh, we shouldn't glide over that detail because Moses was one of the first authors of the Bible. No books of the Bible were written in the days before Noah and the flood when people lived to very significant ages. No books of the Bible were written in the days of Abraham when people were still living to be 180 and ages like that. It's interesting because in his sovereign purposes, the Holy Spirit moves Moses to write those first Bible books when the ages of people had normalized really to what we know now, between 70 to 80 years. And that was something that was new in the history of the world at that time, as previously people had lived to great ages. You know, you think of some of those examples, maybe Methuselah, who lived to 969 years old. Can you imagine? 969, the oldest man who ever lived. That's about 13 or 14 times older than the life expectation we have today. And God caused the Bible to begin to be written at a time when the age and lifespan was as it is still. That's very helpful to us. And when you look at this psalm, you see that there's a very different outlook in it in comparison with the outlook and the mentality of the world, the world that we're in now, even really the modern religious world. It's a very serious psalm. It makes no pretense about the realities of life and death and sin and the wrath of God. And that's why it is so needed in our day and age. It brings a clarity in our thinking about where our priorities should be. Look at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? That is saying that nobody has any true appreciation and conception as to the fierceness and the power of the wrath of God. Not least is wrath outpoured in hell. You know, we can never really comprehend how awful eternal condemnation and punishment will be. Our God will indeed crush the sinner eternally. And Moses says we have no comprehension of how appalling it will be. In fact, the the nearest glimpse that we get is when we see how our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the substitute, the representative, on behalf of his people, endured the, the wrath of God upon the cross. That's the measure. Not even his own beloved son was spared when he stood as the substitute for his people, when he hung upon that cross to atone for their sin. And friends, though it's not easy, we must not get caught in the prevailing attitude of the time, which gives the impression that that these things, well, they're just a bit too uncomfortable. They're just a bit too close to the mark, as it were, that that these things, well, we just need to to set them aside because it will will put people off and we, we just need to just lay them aside a little bit. And when so many are soft on the the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of eternal punishment, friends, these are not virtues. They're distortions. And at worst, they usher people to a dreadful future with no concern over their soul and their position before God. You see, 
true religion, the truth of God, genuine wisdom, as it is written in this book, the Bible, gives us the clarity and reality that we need. And as Moses gives it to us here and all the other writers, we mustn't change the emphasis that God has given, no matter how unpalatable that might be to the world around us. We cannot change the message just to to suit and try to gain popularity. Because true love, if we really love people, we won't hide the truth, we'll tell the truth. And so in our text this morning, we're just going to ask three very simple questions. What does it mean to number our days? How does God teach us to number our days? And what is the wisdom that we are given when we number our days? So let's look at these questions together. The first, what does it mean to number our days? Well, part of the answer to that question is to recognize that ultimately life is short. You know, in preparation, I was reading that someone had calculated that as Moses was leading the children of Israel through the desert during those 40 years of wilderness, at least 15,000 people would have needed to be buried. Now, That may be roughly right, but the point is that over those 40 years, Moses and the Israelites were faced with this duty day after day after day, even several times a day, burying their dead. The brevity of life would have been imprinted upon the minds of Moses and the people. You know, it's something that the Bible is eager for us to understand, and there are so many pictures, so many illustrations which bring this fact to us that life is short. You know, even in this psalm, look at verses 5 to 6. It says that man's life is like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and it withers. In Isaiah 64, the picture of a leaf is used. We all fade as a leaf, it says. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It's so true. You know, we're approaching spring, aren't we? And we see things begin to to blossom and to flourish. But it doesn't take long and all that was green begins to, to change and the leaves begin to wither and fall. That's what life is like. The Bible compares our life to a mist appearing for a, a little time and then vanishing away and you don't see it anymore. Think of James 4. But as you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So is the life of man. Psalm 39, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. You know, a handbreadth isn't much, not many inches, depending on the size of the person. So in the eyes of God is the life of man. And all of this, Moses brings to bear and he compares and he contrasts it with the the everlasting nature of God. Verses 2 to 4. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You know, if you and I had eyes to see it and live long enough to know it, the children of Adam are falling into the grave like a vast waterfall. You know, the Old Testament even uses the image of water to describe 
our life to Samuel 14. We will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. You know, we live in a broken, ruined world that is hit by death, and we cannot pretend otherwise. People want to. They want to hide away from these things. They want to think about these things. But that is what is meant here by numbering our days to recognize the reality. And it's not being morbid. It's seeing life as it really is. You know, my dear friends, we live in a world where people don't think about that. They don't recognize that. You know, they, they know it's true, but they want to ignore it and, and push it away. You know, scientists and researchers and scholars and mathematicians, they know it should be true. They, they don't expect to live more than about 80 years at best and, you know, maybe press on if they're, they're fortunate as they were, but not much more than that. You know, but what use do they make of that knowledge? It's interesting, in his commentary on the Psalms, Calvin says something along the lines of, you've got these great scholars, and they spend all their life calculating things like the distance from the earth to the sun, and from this planet to that planet, and how many miles form the circumference of the earth, and you know, all those things, and from the center of the earth to the moon, and you know, but they don't think about the shortness of their own life. They do all these amazing calculations, and they don't think about their own life. You know, it brings it home, doesn't it? It's a vivid and powerful point. We have people in laboratories and measuring things to the very specific milliliters, milligrams, whatever, skillful in maths and science. That's all fine, but they forget their own life is so short. You know, Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish minister uh, one time of the Tron Church in Glasgow, a very well-known church there in the 1800s. And before he was converted, he was a very talented mathematician and scientist. And when he was brought to saving faith, when he came to Jesus Christ himself, someone later asked him, well, what about all your maths now? Well, he was busy preparing sermons all the time. He saw something far more important. He had this new affection, this expulsive power of a new affection, love for Christ, to see Christ's name proclaimed and that desire to see souls saved. And he answered the question in this way. He said, oh, my friend, in my unconverted days, I forgot two things, the magnitude of eternity and the shortness of life. Those are the two great mathematical factors which I now see to be most important, the shortness of life and the magnitude of eternity. You know, we need to be mindful of the fact that life is short. Look at verse 10 of Psalm 90. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. Now, sometimes those, those extra years beyond, they bring infirmity of body and weakness of mind and loss of memory. Not always, thank God. But often issues come. You know, that's what is meant by numbering our days, to not forget that all the, the busyness and the, the flow of life Life is short, and then there is eternity. You say, well, how does God teach us to number our days? How does God teach us this lesson? Well, you know, the phrasing of that question is so important because it is a lesson that people don't learn by themselves. Again, look at the world around. How many people are actually thinking seriously about the length of their days? 
You know, maybe they, they think for a fleeting moment of their own mortality, but then they, they push those thoughts away from their minds. You know, you see it so often. Some people are confronted with their own mortality. Maybe an illness comes to them or some trouble comes to them. And then, you know, they think seriously for a little while, but then they get better. Life goes back to normal and they just quickly jump back on to the way things were. And they're thinking about everything else, everything and nothing and vanity. You know, minds that are filled with all sorts of things, all sorts of useless information, but not what will do them eternal good. They're not numbering their days. You know, let's be clear about this. If you and I are numbering our days, it's not thanks to any wisdom of our own. We never do it. We never number our days. We never think like this until God takes hold of us. Until God begins to deal with us and graciously teaches us. And you say, well, how does he teach us in this way? Well, he teaches us by the word of God. First and foremost, he teaches us by his holy word. And that's why this book, the Bible, is so precious. It tells us the truth. As uncomfortable as it may be, you know, the Bible explains to us why it is that man dies. You know, why is there death? Why is there decay all around us? Why do we die at all? You know, maybe we go through the countryside and we see some of the beauty of nature and we see great trees that have been there for generations and generations and people have come and gone and yet the tree still stands as it were. You know, why is that the case? Why do people die? Well, the Bible tells us. That when Adam fell into sin, all of us who follow are sinners by nature and actions. The imputation of Adam's sin comes to all of us. All of us are affected. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And that's what we face. That's why life is short. That's why we must die. That's why we will face the judgment. The Word of God tells us that. And so the Word teaches us, God uses His Word to show us the reality of these things. But also He teaches us by the experience of grace in our own lives. You know, God teaches us by experiences. You know, at our conviction and conversion, we take heart of the fact that life is short, that we have an eternal soul. You know, when we're, we're granted that new life in Christ, when we're made alive to the things of God, we see that what the Bible says is true. And we see that it makes sense of this broken world around us in which we live. And we have to experience that saving grace of God, conviction of sin, conversion to Christ. And that's all of his grace. You know, all of that is necessary so that when we read these things about numbering our days and the brevity of life, we go, that's true. It's true. And by God's grace, to repent and turn from sin and trust in Jesus, to trust his person, his work on the cross, the only way our sins can be forgiven and we can be reconciled to God. God working in us to show us these things. And you know, it's also a mercy of God when we're found to be amongst the Lord's people. There are lessons that we learn under the preaching of the word and amongst the Lord's people in the house of God that we can't learn anywhere else. You know, we, we learn, don't we, that there are older Christians who've gone before us and we miss them when they go. We miss their example. 
dear saints whom we've loved, and they go and they leave that gulf and that gap in our lives, you know, and it instructs us and teaches us this lesson, the shortness of life and the importance of being ready for eternity. God has ordained it to be like that. You know, one of the experiences of grace that God gives to his people is when he converts them to himself, he begins to turn their minds around from the vanity of this world to consider life as it really is from the standpoint of truth. You know, one preacher gives the example of John Bunyan. And John Bunyan, when he was a young man, he was fond of lots of different foolish games and stuff like that. And one day he was in his native village in England and he was sort of coming back from certain things that he'd been doing and he was walking past some old women who were sitting on seats outside their little cottages in this village. And he just overheard them talking. And they were talking about things which he had never heard in his life before. They were talking about Jesus, about the Savior, about being born again, about knowing God. And he, he started to listen. He'd never heard a conversation like this ever before in his life. And he realized that there were things that he'd never even dreamt about and considered. Things like being converted and knowing God. And as he listened to that conversation and as God began to work, he came under the conviction of sin. And the effect of that was that ultimately he was led to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look how God used him. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, The Holy War, Grace Abounding, and you could go on. Do you know he wrote 60 books in 60 years of his life? A book every year. And God taught this dear man to number his days, the preciousness of time, and to use it in the right way. He had next to no education. Certainly nothing but the very basics, but a born genius who wrote some of the greatest books that ever a man has written in the history of the world. How did it happen? He was taught of God, the grace of God. And in that sense, as one preacher says, the Bible is the best university of all, and those who know everything except the Bible will in the end know nothing. Certainly nothing which is of ultimate importance. What they know now is okay as far as it goes, but the experiences of grace are the method whereby God teaches us the shortness of life and the importance of being right with him. And also he teaches us, not only through his word and the experience of grace, but the experience of others. You know, God teaches us by the mistakes of others. You know, why did the Lord Jesus Christ tell us the parable of the rich fool? You know, do you recall the parable? Maybe you do. You know, the rich man whose barns are too small to contain all his grain, and so he breaks them down so that he can build sort of bigger ones and cram all his grain inside. And then he says to his soul, Luke 12, Soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And what did God say to him? You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Now Christ tells us that, obviously, to make us realize the shortness of our life and to use the bit of it that we have got left in a wiser way than that unhappy man did. So we can learn from the mistakes of others. You know, sadly, all around us, people are living the life of the rich fool. Not all of them are rich, of course, but they are building their lives on sand 
To use John Bunyan's phrase, they are raking a little bit of dust into a pile, a little bit of money, a little bit of property, a little bit of this and that, and it's all dust. Nothing is going to last. Nothing is going to last or take them to that happy and blessed world above to be with Christ. The sadness of this world and its emptiness, the sadness of this generation in which we live. We learn from the experiences of others. And we learn too by bereavement. God teaches us this lesson by removing from us those that we love. You know, when God takes our loved ones from us, maybe Christian loved ones and family loved ones, it is very painful. But it makes us see the shortness of this present world and the vanity of all things under the sun. We see things in a different light. That is why Christian funerals and Thanksgiving services are so markedly different because they are full of hope, hope in Christ, the one who has conquered the grave. And so let us have grace to number our days, grace to see life as it really is, grace to apply our hearts to wisdom. And that's where we come to lastly. What is this wisdom? Well, this wisdom is firstly that we need to see our own need to be saved. Life is short. Eternity is real. Without Christ, we are lost. It is that straightforward. And yet God in his mercy has given time now for us to be saved. It is still the gospel day to come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, to be sorry for your sins, to put your faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to Christ and see all your sin dealt with, to see all the the guilt and the the punishment and the, the condemnation that you deserve laid upon him and in Christ for you to be given life and peace and hope. You know, believing in Christ. Nothing greater that we can do in this life. True wisdom is to know the one who is wisdom. To know Jesus Christ for yourself. And so that's the first element. What is this wisdom that we are given? When we are given to number our days, it is to see our need for Christ and to run to him. But this wisdom also helps us to see when we are in Christ, the preciousness of time. You know, there was a missionary in the early 1900s called uh, Borden, and he came from Yale. He was American. And uh, this young man was converted through the preaching of uh, a famous preacher called R.A. Torrey. And uh, this young man was very, very wealthy, even at a very young age. And the Lord saved him, intervened in his life. And immediately he decided that he would give away his fortune. Now, in those days, he was a, a millionaire. He had around a, a million dollars. And uh, by modern standards, someone's worked out that it would be well worth over $100 million. And uh, he gave it all away to missionary work. And he devoted himself to preparing to go to be a missionary to China. Now, on the way, he went to Egypt in order to learn Arabic. And whilst he was there, he contracted a serious illness And the Lord took him, even as a very young man. And you might think, well, well, what a waste. It didn't didn't work out as he was hoping. What a waste. And yet that man, as soon as he was converted, he gave what he could to the Lord. He realized time was short and precious. And you know, he wrote this. 
Each day consists of 24 golden hours. An hour consists of 60 diamond-studded minutes. He saw the preciousness of time. Or you think of someone like Robert Murray McShane, this wonderful man of God, and yet the Lord took him at the age of, of 29. And even at that age, he'd influenced the whole nation and that, that godly impact would go across the nations. His, his life was like, as the psalmist says, several generations in one. If a man uses his time well to the glory of God, his influence under God's hand can be remarkable. That was true of McShane. Or you think of William Carey. Now, he didn't die young, but his influence in India was profound. When he went to India, he and his colleagues translated the New Testament into over 30 different languages. And the whole subcontinent of India received the Bible in their own languages, over 30 of them, by this one man and his few colleagues. Now, on one occasion, an arrogant man tried to call out and humble Carey and said, oh, Carey, you know, when you're back home in England, they say that you're just a, a shoemaker. You're nothing more than a shoemaker. It was meant to be a cruel jibe. And Carey responded, he said, I wasn't even a shoemaker. He said, I was just a little cobbler. And he said, all I do is I just keep on doing the bit that I can do. I keep plodding on. That's all I can do. I can plod. And even in his plodding, God was able to use and to glorify him. You know, that's true wisdom to be saved and then to use what time we have for the glory of God. Be it much or little, let it be used for the glory of God, wasting nothing. And you know, the evidence that we are growing in wisdom is to number our days, not only in, in terms of, of salvation, but to number our days in terms of serving the Lord and wanting to give our all for him. You know, one key factor in serving the Lord is are we intentional in what we do? You know, if we take time seriously, if we live life seriously, we will be intentional in our desire to live for the glory of God. You know, have you ever heard those big clocks that chime? You know, some of you maybe like clocks. And often they chime every quarter of an hour. I think the one in town does. Have you ever thought of why they chime every quarter of an hour? You know, is it just something that they came up with? Well, I've heard from numerous sources that it was the Puritans that invented that. They were concerned with the way that they were using time and not wasting a moment of it. They devised a method for the clock to chime every quarter of an hour so that they would be reminded that time is going on. And to be much with the Lord and being faithful to him in the circumstances and to be in the work and to be in worship. And friends, more than ever, the cause of Christ needs those committed and intentional people today who love the Lord Jesus, whose outlook on life is not shaped by the principles of the world and by the, the priorities of the world, but by the word of God and the glory of God. You know, if you're a believer, do you know that when you're taken home to glory, your reward will be fixed you know, you won't be able to increase it then. You'll be given a reward according as your life has been as a Christian in this world. You know, and of course, you'll be staggering and glorious and all those things. But the more you glorify God in this world, the greater your reward in heaven. That's what Jesus said. And we could only increase that heavenly reward in the time 
that we have now in this world. And that's why Jesus exhorted in Matthew 6, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You say, well, why? How, how can you do that? By glorifying him here on earth. Do you know, we give our lives to what we treasure most. Your heart, your love, your priorities, your thinking, the issues of your life, your, your burden, all that you are will be right there with what you treasure. And the question is, if we number our days and we have this wisdom and we've run to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, he should be the treasure of our hearts. And we are to store those treasures where Christ is that will pull your heart to him towards heaven. And if the Lord Jesus is your treasure, then you'll find your heart is there at his feet in love for him. And your joy will be full there in the presence of of your treasure on that great day and your peace and your purpose in life, all that is most important to you, it's all there alongside the one you treasure most. And you know, friend, he is worth losing everything for. He gave everything for us. And the question is, does he really hold our heart? Does he really reign there? In France, at the time of the Reformation, there was a man called Olivetan. His name means olive oil. It was a nickname, obviously. It wasn't his real name. You say, well, why would he call him olive oil? Not the Popeye character. He was always putting olive oil into his little lamp. He was always doing it because he wanted to be in the Word of God. And he helped to translate the Bible into French. He was called Olevitan, always, always working, always putting oil in his lamp. You know, we cannot do what some of these great men have done, that's true. But we must do what our time, strength, and health will permit for as long as we can to do something for the Lord, however great or small we might think it is. He sees everything. Nothing is lost with him. He looks and he sees even the little things that you do to serve your brothers and sisters, to encourage them, you know, to reach out with the gospel. He sees all of that, you know, to be purposeful in it, so to live our days that when we come to the end of them, we can look back and say, I did a little, it wasn't much, but I did what I could for the glory of his name. Do you remember what was said about dear Mary when she anointed the Lord with oil? That beautiful gesture. You know, the disciples, they came in and they, they criticized her. What did the Lord say in Mark 14? She has done what she could. And my dear friends, that's a wonderful commendation from the Lord Jesus. And my wish is that that would be true of every one of us. Myself and you and all the Lord's people in this place. We've done what we could to the glory of his name. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Life is short. We need a Savior. And when we know the Savior, let's live for his glory, redeeming the time until we are with him forever. Amen.